Okay. Hey, it's great to be here this morning. Um, I have to get used to this because normally in Berlin I, I, I preach with translation. So uh, when I don't do it, it takes me a few seconds to realize there's no one next to me and I have to actually keep saying sentences without... <laughs> Without, so, so if we go through this and I start stopping and you just think, what's he doing? I'm waiting for the translator to speak German um, because I, I can speak a little German, but preaching in German is a whole nother, a whole nother level of um, uh, expertise, which I haven't reached yet. Just, I just want to say it's a pleasure to be here. In many ways, Berlin uh, is a similar city to Amsterdam. Um, uh, most German people that come to Berlin, young people, come there to escape from where they are and to basically get what they call freedom and liberty, and they find it in Berlin in a way that they can't find it in any other city. And so everything I know about Amsterdam is kind of, that's Amsterdam and Holland, is that you come to Amsterdam to escape to freedom. Uh, so they're very similar. Um, my wife Sue can't be with us today. She sends her love to everyone. Um, we've, just, uh, we've just had our 33rd wedding anniversary. Yeah. And uh, I know you'd be thinking, that's not pot. How young did you get married? Um, <laughs> well, my... Maybe not. Yeah, I was married as a 10-year-old, yeah, um, <laughs> if only. Um, so yeah, we just, uh, 33rd wedding anniversary, she sends her love. We've just been in a crazy schedule, and uh, she, she's not, her, her stamina isn't quite at the crazy levels of mine, but she made me promise that the next time that we come back to the city, she will definitely come with us. So she sends her love as well. Look, I'll, I'll get into this. There's lots I, I could say. Um, uh, add my welcome if you're here for the first time. I remember coming into a church similar to this when I was in my late teens and I uh, saw these people raising their hands at the front and what, what are they doing? And uh, there's, there's people here and they actually sound like they really mean what they're singing. This is weird. And uh, it I kind of freaked me out and uh, people were very patient with me and kind to me and after about six months, I think I got it. And uh, God broke into my life and uh, I've never regretted a moment since. So I want to encourage you if you're here, maybe for the first time or second time, just... Uh, God is a God to be found, and uh, I want to talk today, um, I think it'll come up behind me, uh, I called this talk uh, Experiencing God, you think, oh, this is a bit freaky, uh, and I want to just say that there's a God who reveals himself in the Bible, and you can know God by uh, reading the Bible, but the God of the Bible is also a God who says, come and taste and see that I'm good. He's a God who encourages us to, to use our senses. It's a, I'll try and explain. I'm going to read from Psalm 63, and I'm going to work through it almost verse by verse and just open this up. And, and say, so what is the Bible actually saying here? Because I think many of us can be, be wary of, of Christian experience because there's a lot of it out there, and you think, I, I've seen some weird things, and I, I, I want the real thing. I don't want weirdness. And so let's just see what the Bible says. So... I'll read through. We're going to read the first eight verses of Psalm 63. It says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will sing, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. It's a very personal, kind of emotional psalm. And uh, there can be two possible objections right now. When you hear me talk about experience, and you can have two things can go on. One is, one is you can say, um, Mr. Pastor, preacher, you don't know the state of my life right now. The last, thing, the last thing I want to do is experience God at the moment. I feel distant from God. I feel closed down. I'm struggling. I can barely get here today. I don't know what Monday morning is going to bring. Just don't, don't do this to me, please. Uh, the interesting thing is this psalm, which is one of David's most passionate, emotional psalms, was written just after Absalom, his, his son, had betrayed him. And he's, he's now fleeing into the wilderness in Judah, and he writes this psalm at what probably was a low point in his life. So this is David. He's been betrayed by his own son, fleeing, and he writes this psalm. So there seems... That you, you, I've done this in the past myself. I've kind of said, you don't, I'm, I'm too miserable. Don't talk to me about experiencing God. I don't want to know. Uh, but actually, David's in a really low place here. And uh, he's crying out in the midst of betrayal and pain and loneliness and saying, God, I'm thirsty for you. So, so I want you to reach out. If that's you this morning and you think, I'm a long way from God. <laughs> I, I, I feel like, where is God? I'm not sure where you are. God, you're not in my circumstances. That is the moment to cry out to God. That's what this psalm is saying. The other thing maybe, as I've touched on before, you're just wary of experience. You just think, I, I've seen a lot, I've read a lot, this is, this, I, I'm not sure there's crazy stuff. I think I'll just stay away from this. And I'll, I'll come back to that and we'll talk a bit more about this. But this is a psalm that says God is to be experienced. I kind of, there's an example I use here is, is this, um, we don't do it anymore, um, certainly not in my lifetime, where you put a wax seal on a letter and in order to do that, uh, you kind of need three things. You, you need the wax itself, you need the seal to stamp it, and you need some heat for the wax. And that's the kind of way I, I find helpful to talk about this, in, in, in the way that the, the, the wax might be your heart or your emotions, the seat of your emotions. And uh, the heat is the Holy Spirit, and the seal is the Word of God. And uh, what, what we need to do, what we want to make sure is that our hearts are warmed by the Holy Spirit. So when the word comes on the heart, it starts to make a real impression and it leaves a mark on the heart. The danger is if, if there's no heat, so if there's no activity of the Spirit coming, the seal comes on, on wax that's hard, two things happen often. It, it, either you get a very slight impression, so there's, not, there's no real mark, it's just... It just tends to scratch the surface, and that's what can happen with us. The Word of God can just bounce off us sometimes. We don't really get changed. Or the other thing that happens is you just keep pressing harder and harder, and it's brittle, and it just breaks the wax. And that can happen to us. So if we're just living in a code of conduct, or I've just read some things about God, and the Word keeps coming, in the end it can break your heart. It just becomes brittle. But we need all three of those things. So that's kind of the context I want to put this in is the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and does a work on our hearts that then allows the Word to come on it. So the thing is, if you take the seal away, so if you take the Word away, this is what makes people nervous about experience, and I would agree with you, if that's you, is if you just get heat and the wax, all you get is a gloopy mess. You just get a load of wax running everywhere. You don't actually get the imprint of the Word on it. 
And so I, no, I'm not talking about that either. I'm not talking about, hey, let's, let's just have an experience. I'm talking about, no, no, no. Let, let the word of God shape you and your emotions and your heart in a profound way. That's what I'm talking about here. But that's what's happening in this psalm. This is what's happening to David. So let me, let me get into this. Um, uh, so I'm going to ask two questions. The first one is this. What does experiencing God look like? Or what is the nature of experiencing God? Or uh, what is the form of experiencing God? Uh, and the second one we'll look at is what happens when I experience God? What's the evidence of authentic experience? So the first one is what's the form of this? What does it look like? So we'll just go through this. So the first point is this. Uh, uh, first, it's fairly obvious from the psalm. We'll go to verse 1. Uh, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you. Uh, so I don't know. My question at the start would be, do you, do you feel like you've developed uh, a spiritual appetite for God in the way that David's describing here? Uh, I think this took, it took me a while in my Christian life to really get this. Um, I'm kind of a reserved English person uh, uh, who finds this sort of thing very difficult sometimes. But God's done a, God's changed me. God's softened my heart. And... Uh, it's interesting, so if you, you, you can even feel, I've even heard many Christians say to me, is this really appropriate? So it's like, I, 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 I thirsted for God and I found him and he found me, but am I, am I still supposed to be thirsty for God? Isn't, isn't this something that happens at the start? And then we just learn more and more about God. Well, it's, just look at the way the verse is constructed. David says, oh God, you are my God. So he's saying, I've already got a very... Uh, close, this is, this is my God. God, you're my God. That's a remarkable thing to say. God, you're my God. It's not earnestly I seek you and you're my God. It's no God. He starts, God, you're my God. I, I know you, God. I've, got a, I've met you. I've got a personal experience with you. Earnestly I seek you. So what are you saying? It's, oh, I've met God. <laughs> God, I know you. You're my God, but I'm earnestly going after you. I'm thirsty for more of you. And that's what I think Scripture shows us. Scripture show, it, it, what it shows us is that the more people see of God, the greater thirst uh, comes into their lives for more of God. It's not that you meet God and it's all done and then you just learn some more things. The Bible says, no, 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 you meet God and then thirst grows. Because you think, wow, this is amazing. God, I never saw this about you. Oh, can this be true? God and things open up and you see some more and you see some more things and oh God I get even more thirsty God please thirsty the Bible is full of this I see you God therefore I'm thirsty for you I must have more of you God please you're so magnificent you're so wonderful it's always that way around and the problem I think with the first thing here is we don't really understand most of us don't really understand what thirst physical thirst is uh, we, we, we live in, um, I certainly do, live in a society where you can just get water anywhere. Um, and we don't, I, I remember once in my life where um, I, I went on a bike, I do a lot of mountain biking back in England, and it's a bit more difficult in Berlin because it's basically a sandpit and it's dead flat. But in England, you can go up these hills, you can get away from everything, and they kind of have water stops every 20 miles or something on this trail. And I, it was very hot, and it was a June day, I think, and I remember getting, uh, I, I just carry enough water to get from one to the next, and there's no water, this thing's broken. And there's nowhere else to go. 
And uh, I, I should have done is come down the hill and found some water, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm, I'll be fine. I don't need water. And uh, just press on to the next one. And I think the chain broke on the bike, or something, I can't remember what it was, something happened. And I, I remember in the end, it took hours to get to this next water stop. And uh, I've never experienced anything like it. Uh, it. It was like every molecule in my body was crying out for water. And all I could think about was, I had these like, visions of water in front of me, um, like waterfalls coming down, and it was weird things were happening. And I, I, I was just so thirsty. And this is the sort of thing David's talking about. He knew what it was to go thirsty. He lived in the desert for periods of his life. And he has to think, where's the water? Can I, can I get... This is, you can go without food for 40 days or more. You can go without water for a day or two or three maximum. So your body is virtually... I don't want to shock anyone here, but your body is virtually water. It's, I mean, I wrote down here, what, what was it? Its body is 60% water. 60% water, which is why when you get thirsty, it, it is like every molecule in your body is crying out for water. And, and it's the same examples. This is how we're supposed to pursue God. It's like, God, I must have you. I must have more of you, God, please. Please, God, I've seen something. I must have more. It's an appropriate thing. And I just, just want to say this, and we'll, we'll move on, because I, I want to get through this psalm, is, look... Um, this, this whole thing of spirit experience spiritually can be a big topic in the church. And um, I, I think that's partly caused by... Um, uh, so today, everyone wants an experience. Uh, there's a new age movement. Uh, experience God. Spirituality. All, I don't know what Amsterdam, I know what Berlin's like. Uh, I, I must experience something. I want experience. That's what, people, that's what young people today are after. They want experience. And the trouble is we can kind of, because of that, we can kind of throw it out if we're not careful and think, I'm, I'm cautious about this. And it could be that you've read books. I mean, I've read books by people who seem to live in this, like, glorious experience 24 hours a day. And uh, you think, oh, I can't, I can't be like that. It doesn't work for me. And you just, you just end up giving up. And, and you may have read some of those books, dreams, visions every day, there's things incredible things happening. And you think, oh, I can't be like that. And also, you're probably right. You're probably right. You can't be like that. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't take psalms like this seriously. There is a thirsting of God to go for. There is. There is an experience of God. Don't let things put you off. It's like, why I find the psalms so helpful, it's like I'm reading a personal journal of someone who's meeting God. It's like the Psalms are very personal. It's like you're, you're getting an insight inside David's life. You're getting his thought life. This, this is what my day with God was like. This is what I was feeling like when I woke up this morning. <laughs> it's in the Bible. This is David saying, this is my life. Forget, forget what you might have read. Just, just go by what's in the Bible. You think, it's in the Bible. This is, this is put here for our instruction. This is David. It's like a personal journal. This was my day. This is, this is what I was experiencing on the inside. Um, don't miss out because of fear or cynicism. Be my question. Reach out to God. Say, God, if you, is this, do you want this for me? Ask him. Ask him. Ask him, ask him to bring the, heat up your heart with the spirit so that you can put the word on it. So the word changes your heart. It's what you can do. Um, I must move on. That was thirst. Uh, the second one is sight. Verse 2. 
Um, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Now, this, is, this can be confusing because you can think, well, did David see God? I said, what did he mean? What, I, I didn't think you were allowed to see God. You had Moses who's hidden from... Moses says, can I see you? And God says, no, no, you're going to die if you say, don't do that, Moses. Get behind this rock. I'm going to pass by. I said, what's did David see God? This is, a, this is a bit odd. What does he mean? And... Uh, uh, I think that is mainly what happens in the Old Testament. There's, there's very little, people don't see God with our own eyes. That, that tends to be what, that, that isn't what happens. That to God who cannot be approached, he's too holy, he's too magnificent. In the future, there is a day coming when we'll see him face to face and be with him forever. And this veil gets taken away and we see clearly with him, we see him. David talks about this, is in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where does that leave us today? 21st century Amsterdam, Berlin. How, how, what is that? Are we supposed to see God? Because we, I know the Old Testament says we couldn't, and I know we will in the future, but what about today? And I, I think it's this word beholding. It's used in the New Testament. It, it does it. What it means is it's like a gripping on the inside through faith where we perceive something. It's not, that we, it's not like I'm seeing that window. Um, it's a bit like I've got my eyes closed and I can see a beautiful stained window. It suddenly becomes real to me. It's as though I'm looking at it, but I'm not looking at it. And I think that's what David's talking about when he says, beholding your power and glory. It's like a faith view of God that suddenly comes to us. The Holy Spirit lights something up in our hearts. Uh, J.R. Packer says... Um, we're to be melted by spiritual understanding of truths in Scripture. It's like there's a melting and your heart happens. It's like, oh, I never saw that before. God, that's amazing. I can, I can see something. That's incredible. Thank you, God. I think that's what this is more about. You see, when I look at the story of Job, in Job 42, the very end of Job, the book of Job, Job 42.5, Job says this, I have heard of you. He's talking about God. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you. And there's no evidence that Job had an actual, uh, he actually met God in person. There's no evidence of that in Scripture. I think what, what, what this is saying is that through everything that Job went through, all the pain, all the struggle, he ended up, what he says is, before I'd heard some people talk about God. That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard some information about God. I've read some things. But what happens at the end of Job when he's gone through all this struggle and all the pain? He says, oh, now I've seen you. And it doesn't mean he's seen him with... What, something's happened on the inside of him where he's had some sort of faith view of God that goes way beyond some, oh, that's interesting about God. That's interesting. Thanks. I've learned something new today about God. Something happened to Job seen God suddenly whoa I've seen you I think this is available for us today um, it's funny uh, it's this level it's, it's what are our levels of appreciation I was, I was thinking about this it says in scripture do not cast your pearls before pigs so you think what, what's he talking about now it's like if you if you give a pearl to a jeweler um, the jeweler will look at it and go oh wow he'll, he'll know about it he'll probably know where it came from He'll probably know exactly what it's worth. He'll study the way the light goes through it, how polished it is. He'll just look at it in a different way. If someone gives me a pearl, 
I would be thinking how much is this going to cost because my wife might, might want the pearl. But that's another thing. Um, but I, I won't know where it came from. I won't really understand it. I might think that's a nice stone. Uh, that's nice. But I won't look at it in the way the jeweler does. If you throw the pearl on the ground to the pig, well, the pig is either going to eat it and get indigestion or uh, he's just going to trample on it. And so what is your... How do you appreciate God? Do you, how, how do you see truths in Scripture? Do they kind of just wash by, that's nice? Or is it, is it like, wow, that's amazing? What is your level of appreciation? What are you beholding? What are you, what are you seeing? When was the last time you were melted by the love of God? Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, famous English writer, says this. He said, if the lower reaches of the stream of God's glory are so intoxicating... What must it be like to taste at the fountainhead? What must it be like? If like, if you just suddenly you get gripped by something, you see it, and that's intoxicating, that, that's overwhelming. What is it like when we meet him? This is what's on offer. This is what the God of the Bible offers us. Um, I can say much more about that. So uh, first sight, the third, the third thing of the nature of this is feast, verse 5. My soul will be satisfied with, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Um, yes, we like the fat and rich food bit. Um, I want to say to you quickly, God is a God of abundance. Okay? We, we, can, we, we, can, we can have different views of God. We can, we can think we're scraping through. We can think, God, you've just done enough for me but I'm not sure whether you're still a bit cross. Uh, God, God, am I okay? The Bible says the God that we worship in the Bible is a God of overwhelming abundance. He's a God of generosity. He's a God of overflowing generosity. Uh, And this is what we need to live in the good of. This is the nature of our experience, that he is the God of the pressed down and running over. He's not the God of the drips. It's the pressed down, running over. This is our God. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of the Bible. This is why I'm so passionate in Berlin. Berlin is a party city. People come to Berlin because they want a party. And I think the gospel offers the most amazing party in the whole world. Because he's the God of the pressed down and running over. There's joy in God you can find that is remarkable. It's remarkable. You don't have to stoke it up either. You don't, you don't, it's not going to run out. It'll just keep flowing. See, Psalm 23, verse 5, you know, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God you can find and experience. See, this is the promise of overflowing spiritual abundance. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. I could, I could list you 20 verses here. I have come that you might have abundant life, John 10, 10. Ephesians 2, uh, God is rich in mercy and he's seated us with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible is full of the abundant mercy and generosity of God. And uh, this is what David's saying, my soul is satisfied as with fat and rich food. It's like the best. God, it gives me the best. God just doesn't give me a bit of thin bread (laughs) and a bit of water. God of the Bible wants to give us the best. We can feast on the best. There's a promise of overflowing abundance. And you get this two-way communion with God where we see God's glory and power and his love for us. And we get to give back praise and glory to God. 
And then we get to know our worth. We get to know how precious we are, how valuable we are to God. And then he lets his goodness pass before us. It wasn't, it wasn't my experience for quite a long time. God had to teach me these things. It's like, God, I see you. And, and, and God, I see you, how great you are. And then, and then it does something in my heart, and I pour out praise to God, and then I see a bit more of God, and this two-way thing starts to happen. This is what's on offer in the God of the Bible for us. You get to value him back, and you get to pour out your heart to him, your pain, your suffering, your difficulties, and then he lets his goodness come before you. At the table with God. Prepares a table in the midst of your enemies. Spurgeon, uh, one more quote I'll give you. Spurgeon, a famous English preacher, says, I find this very challenging. He says, some of us know what it is like to be too happy to live. <laughs> the love of God has been so overwhelmingly experienced by us on some occasions that we almost had to ask God to stop the delight. And that does two things in me, that verse. <laughs> uh, it, it kind of condemns me slightly, and I think, oh, I want to know more of that. <laughs> God, I don't I've had moments in my life, actually, where I have known that, actually. I, ha I have known God like that. Uh, uh, but also, I think, God, it's challenging because I, I, am I really going after you with that sort of passion and that sort of expectation that, God, you can so overwhelm me, so overwhelm me with your love and your kindness and your mercy. My soul will be satisfied. That's what David's saying in the midst of the wilderness. My soul will be satisfied. There's a satisfaction in God for us. I sometimes think, am I following the same God as Spurgeon? <sighs> it's busy life. Busy life. When was the last time you, you said, God, please come on me. I want to see you like this. God, I, I believe this is here for me and I'm not, I, I feel distant. God, is this real? Are you really like this? The nature of experience. So thirst, sight, beholding, feast. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. This is the Bible. This is Psalm 63. This is David. This is David's life with God. We are now found in Jesus. I know well, David's closer to God than I was. No, he's not. No, he's not. I haven't got time to unpack that. <laughs> but uh, he's not. The Bible says if you're a Christian, you're now hidden in Jesus Christ. You're not, you're not far away than David was. I mean, David had some remarkable revelation of God that I don't fully understand. Uh, but you can't say I'm not as close to God as David was. You're hidden in Christ. I need to get on because time's going to go for me. Um, second question, what is the evidence of real Christian experience? So what are authentic signs so you think, okay, that's kind of what it looks like, but, but how do I know if, this is, if, if what's happening to me is real? It's a good question to ask. Let me just give you a, a, a few things here. Um, number one, to know his love. That's the first sign. Uh, so verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips praise you. And for years, I read that verse and just read it. Yeah, 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 your steadfast love is better than life. And like, what, what did he say? So what he's saying is that your steadfast life, God, is even better than life itself. And you think, what is he saying? What, what does he mean? Better than life? 
I've looked it up. I've studied it in Hebrew. I've looked at it. I think, no, they must have got it wrong. Hebrew means something. No, it doesn't. I'm afraid it doesn't. That's what he's saying. It's like, no, no, no. So we've got to understand. We've got to say, what is in David's mind? What what is David experiencing here? And I I think we just need to have eternity in our hearts. Okay, the steadfast love of God that's going to go on forever. We just see glimpses of it. And we think this life is everything. The Bible says, no, no, in death gets swallowed up by life for the Christian. It's like you die, but oh, it gets swallowed up by life. Life comes on us. The steadfast love of God. The love of God comes into our hearts. We think, oh, suddenly I think a day will come. A day will come when I I realize, I think, oh, I understand this verse now. (laughs) I was a bit stupid when I was living this life but oh I get it now oh the love of God oh my word I thought this life it was everything and God says no no it's just it's momentary it's passing you're going through some struggles <laughs> but one day you're going to see me face to face to know his love we can know of his love and we can know his love and we can hear about his love and we can read about his love Do we know his love in a way that our heart is warmed strangely and the word of God comes on it? I know I'm loved by God. I know nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, love of God that's shown to me in Christ. Nothing. To know his love. I mean, this is a whole sermon, so I'm doing this really fast. See, to know how wide and high and deep and long is the love of Christ. I think, oh God, please help me. I need to grasp this. I I, I can spend my life trying to work this out. And God, sometimes I think I touch it. Sometimes I, the love of God shown through the cross. I, I, oh, sometimes I think I understand it. Sometimes I'm not sure. But it's better than life. The love of God. We can know these things. When was the last time you said, stop the delight, God? <laughs> I can't take any more of your love. It's too much for me. Oh, I feel very challenged by that. See, we can be grabbed. I kind of describe it as grabbed. We can get grabbed by truth. Um, it's like we can get grabbed by the love of God. We can get grabbed by the mercy of God. It's suddenly, we can read about these things and we suddenly have a moment where the Holy Spirit comes and you go, oh. <laughs> it's like grabbing us with truth. It's like, I know the love of God. I know what you've done for me. I, oh, your mercy is overwhelming. God, I've read of your mercy. I've heard about you. It's like, Job, I've heard things about you, but now I've seen you. It's like the love of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God. The faithfulness of God. God, oh, I know it. Know his love. Uh, You can't have that love taken from you. It's when you know that. I'm going to keep going. Um, The second evidence is praise. Just work through another verse. Verse 4, praise. So that was know his love. That's authentic. So if it's an authentic experience of God, you should know the love of God. You should come out of that experience thinking, oh God, I, I know something more about your love. Second thing is praise. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. There you go. It wasn't made up by weird people at the front of meetings. David's doing it. He's lifting his hands. Okay. Um, but, by the way, sorry, I have some made jokes about it. I, I, seriously, what, I'm, sure, I'm sure this has been explained before. I, I struggled through this myself for years. I, I thought, that's weird. What, uh, do, they, do they want to be, leave the room or something? What's, what's happening here? These people putting their hands... And then God started to speak into my heart. And it's like, oh, okay. It feels like an appropriate thing to do. 
It's like I'm, I'm offering up part of who I am to you, God. I'm praising you. I'm lifting hands in your name. It's like, God, I worship you. Uh, and God started to change my heart. It's just like, I don't have to do it because that person's doing it. I'm doing it because I think this is an appropriate response to God of who I am, of who he is. I'm worshiping him. Praise. Um, look, what can I say about this? Uh, it should be part of your prayer life. It should be a main part of your prayer life. Um, I praise you as long as I live. So it shouldn't be sporadic or, or, or just occasional. You, uh, this is challenging. I'm, I haven't cracked this. I'm not the expert. We should be praising God every day. We should be saying, God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. I, I, I just love the story. It's very challenging. Um, uh, when the disciples are coming in with Jesus into Jerusalem uh, for the last time, he's about to be betrayed. And you remember the story. They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna. We, and and, and the, 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 the rulers and the chief uh, priests are going uh, to Jesus. Can you... Can you shut them up? This is horrible. They shouldn't be shouting out like this. Quieten them down. This is, this is disgraceful. And, and Jesus goes, well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, chief priests and, and, and Levites and rulers and people of the law, if they're not crying out, the rocks are crying out. <laughs> the rocks are going to cry out how worthy I am. It's like, he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise. I can't put it any other way. He's magnificent. When we gather today and we sing, what we're coming to is that there's a song happening in heaven right now. And it goes on continuously. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive riches and praise and honor and glory. It's happening. And we're joining in with that song because he's worthy of praise. He's worthy. It's not just, we, oh, we'll sing a few songs. No, there's already a shout going up in heaven. The rocks, if we didn't sing, the rocks are going to cry out because he's glorious. Jesus, this is something I've as the years have gone by, I've just realized this more and more that as I study more, I realize I know less. So the more I see of Jesus, the more I study, the more I walk with him, it's like new horizon. I think I'm getting there and I get to the top of the hill and another mountain range opens up. And I get to the top of that one, I think, oh, this is it now, I've got there, and I'm going to be able to see everything. Oh, my word, there's another one over there that's higher. And that should be our experience of God. It's like worthy of praise. Because I, I, can't, I, I, I struggle to explain this to you adequately. Um, I, 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 I just think he's glorious beyond my ability to properly understand. He's just worthy of praise. So that's what David's response is. Um, another one, three, fulfillment. What should it look like? Well, you should be fulfilled. You should come out of an experience of God with fulfillment. Verse 5, my soul, we've looked at this, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. We, we should be people, when we experience God, there's a sense of satisfaction comes into our hearts. It's like a fulfillment. It's like, oh, okay, this is who I am. I don't need to chase after this thing for my, I don't need this relationship to sort me out. I don't need this friendship. I don't need this person to say something nice to me for me to feel good about myself anymore. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not dependent upon what that person thinks of me because I've met God and I know what God thinks about me and I know my value before God and, and a fulfillment comes into our lives. He is enough for me. I don't need... I don't need the praise of people. Uh, if, if that person criticizes me, well, okay, I need to take notice of that, but it doesn't destroy me. I don't need to fight back. 
because I'm fulfilled in God. And God, this, this is what the experience of God should leave you with. Your soul is satisfied. There should be a contentedness about you when you've met God. You shouldn't come out of a, a meeting with God feeling frustrated or wound up. It's like, oh, I, I know who I am. God, I know your love for me. See, you, you don't need approval anymore if you're really fulfilled in God. You, you, you don't need a sense of power. You don't have to grasp things and get power. You don't need it. Why would you? What's the point? What's the point? I'm fulfilled in God. I don't need power. That's what power is. It's, 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 it's like this illusory mist. It's like trying to hold mist in your hand. It just, as soon as you've got it, it goes. You just look back through history. But that's not really, you don't get fulfillment in power. You might get it for a moment, but it just, it's like a vapor, it'll go. But, but God, you get fulfillment in God forever. There's nothing, nothing can take it away from you. Control as well, you don't need control. You don't need to control situations. You don't need to control people because you're fulfilled in God. That's, the, that's an authentic experience of God. That's what should be fulfillment. My soul will be satisfied. Sorry, I'm rushing. I'll do one more. Joy, verse seven. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Praise, fulfillment, know his love, joy. Joy. You can't meet God and be sad. You can't really meet. Sure, let me hear it on. You can have pain in your life. And maybe you have, you have to speak pain out to God. But God will pour his love in. And when you see God for who he is, something in us will erupt in joy. There has to be something that's happening. We should be people with, in a sense of satisfaction and, and joy comes out of us. And you think, well, can this really for me? And I, I don't want to be silly about this. Some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. You, you know, I, I spent years standing next to extroverts in services like this, thinking, what is wrong with me? Or what is wrong with them? Uh, I, I, I kind of feel things, but I, I, I'm not like that. Um, I, I can, one person in my mind in Brighton, I spent years standing next to this person, and they would never stay still. And it was like, oh, just stop it. Just, just, just be still. Just be still. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not like that. I kind of, I love God, but you can't kind of see it so clearly. And um, there has to be place. There has to be place in churches for introverts and extroverts. You don't all have to be clones. The, the Bible isn't, we're not clones. We don't all have to do exactly the same thing. We're made differently. But there's got to be, a, there's a, I'm talking about a joy on the inside, and some of us, are, it's easier to show than others, and that's okay. But, but I, I want to say, when you come here, I, I, I think this isn't so much about structure or, or it's got to look like this. For me, is do you come with an expectation of getting surprised by God? It's like getting grabbed by some truth. The Holy Spirit, oh, okay. Something, something happens and you think, oh, I never saw that. It's like, and joy erupts in your spirit. Oh, thank you, God. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Your shelter, you've helped me, God. Praise you, thanksgiving. Praise you, God. You come into this place and you praise God because he's, he's kept you. You're in the shelter of his wing. Let me just wind this up. Um, I'll just finish with this. So uh, what should I do? We'll just close. Um, and the band want to come up or... Um, you come up, Matt. Okay. Um, look, just two things. I'll finish with this. Earnestly, I seek you. Is do you have a sense of expectation? I think we could expect so little. If your life is anything like mine, it's busy. Um, you're you're dealing with lots of other things. 
21st century European living, hundreds of things are crowding in. We've got mini computers, my phone's down there, you carry a mini computer with you. You've got access to, to, to world entertainment. <laughs> that, that, you can just get it in a second. Distractions are huge. What is your expectation of meeting with God? Are you thirsty for God? Uh, do you expect to get a faith sight of God when you come in this place? And let me just say this. Maybe you're, you're, you're very, you feel like you are in the wilderness of Judah. God feels a long way away. Your life circumstances, maybe it feels spiritually difficult. I want to say there's grace for you today. You, you don't have to bring your, you, God doesn't require you to bring your faith in. He, he'll, just, he'll just meet, he'll, if you call out to him, he will come to you. Uh, you know, I've heard someone say once, um, my prayer feels like ice. <laughs> That's what I feel like at the moment. It feels like it's frozen. And I would say this, God prefers a prayer of ice than no prayer at all. And part of you saying to God, God, I know this sounds a bit like ice, my heart is frozen, is a massive thing to say to God. God, come and thaw my heart. Come and, come and, come and meet me, come and do stuff. So tell him you're thirsty. Um, Matt, why don't you come and do what you need to do, lead him to communion. Yeah, should I, can I pray actually just briefly? Let's just pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your presence in this place. Father, we thank you as we gather in this beautiful building in the midst of this damp, wet morning. We thank you, God, you're a God to be found. God, you're a God who's you've revealed yourself to us. And I just pray as we continue in this service together, uh, God, we want to reach out to you. We want to draw close to you. So your word is that as we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. And I pray for the person in the room who's maybe the most angry with you or the most disappointed or the most uh, nervous. <laughs> I just pray you'd reach uh, right into their hearts now, God. Holy Spirit would, would just start to work on our emotions and the word of God would come alive to us. In Jesus' name, amen.